Hi everyone, welcome to Court Chronicles. Wow, week 13? I can't believe it. Lucky number 13. I hope everyone's had a good week. And lots of changes coming to Court Chronicles. But before I get into that, how have you been this week, Amy? I'm still here. Let's just say that. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't sound very promising, but at least we've got some good albums to talk about. Some good albums to talk about. (laughs) No, I hope everyone has had a good week. I know there's lots of craziness in the world, but once again, you can turn to music sometimes. You know, put put on your earbuds, just escape for just a little bit. Even if it's for 10 minutes, listen to a couple songs. It's a good way to just get away and just forget about your problems, even for just a moment. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Not if you're listening to some of this music that we've got this week. But, for the most part. And, like I said before, there are some changes coming up to Chord Chronicles. One thing we're, I'm going to talk about, we actually have two segments we're going to be introducing pretty soon. We decided, I believe, we're going to be calling it Jeff's Just Jamming. And Amy's all alone. So we've got Triple J and Triple A. Usually, we both review the albums on Chord Chronicles, and we give our thoughts. But I thought it would be fun to shake things up a bit and just throw an album in every week that Amy will review and just do whatever she wants. And I will review whatever on an album and do what I want. And then we'll go from there. And another thing we've been talking about the format of the show actually is going to change. I feel like sometimes for the listeners it may get a little tedious when we do go track by track because sometimes albums are very repetitive. A lot of a lot of albums there's not a lot of change in it, so there's so much only so much that you could say about it. So, you know, like I like I said last week, with that being said, which I'm going to not say that much this episode, hopefully, we're going to go to a format change. We're going to listen to the whole album, still, and then point out the songs that maybe were singles originally, and songs that may have should have been singles. And, of course, I'm going to point out those songs that are horrendously <laughs> bad. Maybe a bad cover or two that we get yeah. in there. So, I don't know. I think that will that will help everyone and yeah. not be so repetitive. But I hope that, uh, that you know, changes the... The, the show up a little bit and makes it a lot more fun, but I don't know. With that being said, that's my last <laughs> we'll one. We'll see. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw it in just to, I thought I'd throw it in just to mess with everyone. I think that we're going to get started this week, though. We're still in early June 1970. Normally, this would be on off the record because we don't have an exact day for it, from what I can tell. It's Chris Christopherson. Christopherson? This is Chris Christopherson's debut album. And, I mean, I've heard of Chris Christopherson, but mainly through his movie work. You know, I mean, I I know he sings, and he's a good writer, a really good writer. But I remember him from a lot of movies. And I should have pulled up his movie credits as well, because he's very active in the movie business. I want to believe, I want to say he's even in movies like Blade with Wesley Snipes and and things that you wouldn't expect him to be in. Now, I may be off base on that one, but he is involved with a lot of movies. But, I mean, how familiar are you with with Chris Christopherson? Probably a little more familiar with his 
musical career than you are because, as I've mentioned before, I have been a country fan most of my life. But I do know him more as a songwriter than a performer. I've never been a huge fan of his actual performances, but I love his writing. Oh, yeah, from what I've done in my research, he wrote so many hits for just different artists. Yeah. So I guess it was only natural that he would perform some himself. And from what I can tell, even he doesn't believe he has a good singing voice. Yeah. Because he doesn't really have a pleasant singing voice, and that's going to come through in some of my reviews. But, I mean, he, even his quotes, you know, he didn't know why they wanted him to make his own album because he said he sings like a frog. <laughs> So, I don't know. I think that's a little harsh because I don't think his voice is terrible. No, I but don't his either. Writing, well, his writing is definitely better than his singing. I will say that. But he can play, you know, he's pretty good guitarist and things as well. So, I mean, Chris Christopherson actually, yes, was in Blade. I just checked on it. He He's in A Star Is Born. And from 1976, so we're actually going to probably have a soundtrack from that coming up. But he's just been in a plethora of movies. He's in all the Blade movies. He's in Payback with Mel Gibson. And Fire Down Below, Planet of the Apes. Just a lot of different movies. I mean, there's like the list here is about like 50 movies, I think. And Pee-wee, Pee- uh, Big Top Pee Wee as well. That's the most important. I don't know if you know. So... No comment. But Chris Christopherson, a man of many talents, actually. And like I said before, this is his debut album. And this was re-released in 1971, entitled Me and Bobby McGee. After Dennis Joplin made the song that we will be talking about a hit. Um, this is, like I said, this is country. And I would call him a storyteller. Definitely. Storyteller country. It's outlaw country in a way but it's storyteller. He's just very intelligent. So, I'm going to get started though. The first track is Blame It on the Stones. And originally I just listened to this. I didn't do any research first. And it was just an odd start to the album. Uh, It almost sounds like a bar song, in a way. Like someone sitting at a piano and like the chorus of the song, it just just has that old-time bar feel. He's actually referring to the Rolling Stones, and he's using them in a mocking fashion, but he's he's using the Rolling Stones in place of rock music. Like when the older generation looked down upon it as a moral corrupter to society. And it's, it's really unique. I don't believe I've heard anything like this so far and that we reviewed on the podcast. And I actually kind of like it. But what do you think about it? It definitely wasn't what I expected from him. You know, I was expecting country music, and this isn't overly country sounding. I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I didn't hate it. It's not my favorite of his work. It was just a little bit weird. To me, it seemed a little more amateur than I expected from him, but it is his debut album as a performer, so that kind of makes sense. It wasn't terrible. I thought it was really cool as well that this was recorded in Nashville, and, you know, we're not that far. We're a stone's throw from Nashville, ha so ha. it's always kind of nice. A stone's <laughs> throw? <laughs> yeah, I thought I would throw that one in as well. 
for everyone out there that wants a little bit of country speak. We're, we're talking about a country album, so you have to you have to throw in a little bit. <laughs> but no, blame it on the Stones. I, I liked it. I didn't love it, but I just liked that it was different, and it was mocking the older generation, and that's why they took the tone. It just took. A, you know, I had to go back and read about it. Just when I first heard it, I was just like, this is kind of odd. This is not what I expected from someone who I believe would be the storyteller type. Which, actually though, we didn't have to wait long for that. Because the next song, To Beat the Devil, is basically narration set to music. And this is where my, my notes, I would call Chris Christopherson a visual storyteller. Um, this really is, it isn't my favorite type of music. But I really do appreciate it. Uh, it's good. Like, it's really good, but, you know, normally not my style of music, but the story was really interesting. So I could just sit down and, and listen to him tell a story. It doesn't matter what type, type of music's playing in the background, honestly. So, I don't know, I, I really did like it, though. But as far as the story, just didn't care for the music really as much. But what did you think about it? It is more what I was expecting from Chris Christopherson, and I did like it. I don't know if you remember, but we actually heard this song earlier this year when we reviewed Johnny Cash. He covered it for his, uh, what is it, Meet Johnny Cash? Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I can't remember the name of the album. But this song was on it, but Chris actually wrote it. His presentation was more like Johnny Cash's than I expected. It is mostly spoken word, especially through the verses, and then he actually sings the choruses, similar to what Johnny Cash does. But it worked for Chris Christopherson just as it does for Johnny Cash, and I liked it. Music and all. But again, I do like country, so. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hit or miss on country. Like, I didn't hate it, but for me, the important part of it was the storyteller aspect of it. I really did appreciate that. That you don't normally, you don't you don't get that a whole lot. And I, I'd forgotten that we had, had done the Johnny Cash. I, I knew that he had written for Johnny Cash because in my notes a couple songs down, I refer to Johnny Cash. So yeah, but I just I just didn't you know I knew it sounded like that, but I just really I wrote that off as being just the outlaw style <laughs> of a country like you know the visual storyteller. He, he's going to tell you a story about meeting the devil and. Maybe drinking or just doing something like that. Yeah. Yes, I'm being stereotyping, but it's it's just the way it is. <laughs> it is, and you know he did tell a good story, and I liked Johnny Cash's version as well, so that's why I did remember. It kind of stuck with me. Now the next track is a good example of Chris Christopherson being a good writer for someone else to knock something out of the park, and him not maybe not being as strong performing it. It's his song, but someone else made it her song. And that song is me and Bobby McGee. The way Christofferson does it, it's more of a traditional old-style country. It actually was originally written for Roger Miller in 1969, and I haven't gotten a chance to go back and listen to that version yet. But I just found that in the notes. I thought it was just Janis Joplin. I didn't even know Chris Christofferson had even written this or performed it until I got into this album. But... I want to check out the Roger Miller co you know, cover to see what it's like. It's probably going to be that traditional old-style country. And then Christofferson covered it in that style. And then Janis Joplin just knocked it out of the park. And there's some soul and everything into it. You know, obviously we know who made this song our own. This is not bad, 
but you know, I don't really see them re-releasing the album for this so for this song. Excuse me. I think I, uh, <laughs> had had a uh, a lung collapse there for a second. <laughs> but um, but yeah, Janis Joplin cover this much better than Chris Christopherson or Roger Miller, I'm sure for that matter. But I don't know if I'm looking for this song, I'm gonna go to Janis Joplin. But you know, what do you think about it? I did know this version of it, and I have heard Roger Miller's. And you're right, it is more similar to Chris Christopherson's than Janice's, obviously. You know, Janice Joplin's version is by far the best. You know, like I said, I have heard this one, and it's still good, but hers is better. But I give major props to Chris Christopherson as the writer of the song. And his version's fine. It's just... It, I think the song really lended itself to her interpretation of it better. That was terrible grammar. Don't judge me. <laughs> no, I um, no, it's, it's funny though because I just didn't. I had no idea, and I had never really even. I have heard of Roger Miller, but I'm not real familiar with him as well. So, if it's the old style country, I'll probably go give it a chance just to. Just to see how it compares to all three. If there's a trifecta, I always like to round it out like that. <laughs> number three is the number of power, guys. Just so you know. <laughs> I'm going to go to the next song, though. And that's Best of All Possible Worlds. This one actually reminded me a little bit of Johnny Cash. It's outlaw-style country, which may be why. It's just another story, a narration set to music. This one, though, I thought was only okay. I like to beat the devil better. But this one was alright. What did you think about it? I agree with you. It definitely has the Johnny Cash style to it. And I know that those two were closely associated with each other during Chris Christopherson's early days, so that makes sense. It's very obvious here. I did think it was kind of catchy, but I agree, I like to beat the devil better. But it's okay. It's, um, it's filler, in a way. Not bad. But it's probably filler, but I would consider it. Now the next song, Help Me Make It Through the Night, this song was actually originally written for Sammy Smith, and I've heard that version of it. Uh, Sammy, Sammy Smith actually, it's S-A-M-M-I, a female artist, and it's more traditional country music. I like it, but I thought the vocal harmonies were a little too quiet in, in the version that I heard. Now I heard this, I believe I heard this on Spotify. So it probably is remastered, but for me, when they get into vocal harmonies in this song, it was just really quiet, and I did listen with good headphones. So what do you think about Help Me Make It Through the Night? I like the cover by Sammy Smith. You know, I know that song well, and I enjoy it. I never knew that Chris Christopherson had written it until we reviewed this album. His version is good, not as good as hers. But it's okay. Yeah, I think Chris Christopherson is Chris Christopherson's. He's more valuable for his writing prowess. Yeah. But, I mean, he did try to come out. I mean, he does. He has some, you know, some individual work as an artist where he's performing. But I believe his strength was in his writing and his acting, for that matter. Mm-hmm. I don't believe his. I mean, he's on it. He, he's he's right. His singing isn't as great. But his writing is stellar. 
an example of that is the next law, and that's the law is for the protection of the people. It's an anti-authority protest type of song. He's calling out the police for their abuse of power. <laughs> uh, it's uh, as true then as it is now. Uh, it's a really good song. Uh, honestly, this is the first song on the album that I would deem playlist for me. I liked it. I like this song. What did you think about it? Yeah, you know, not to get political, but very timely listen. I didn't care for his voice in this song in particular. I did think the song was catchy, um, and the vocals were better in the chorus than in the verses, but it sounded like he was doing a little bit of a weird accent in the verses. I'm pretty sure it was intentional, but it didn't sound great. But if you are able to ignore that, it's a pretty good song. Now the next track, I need someone to educate me on the nuances and the difference in a violin and a fiddle. In country music, because from here, but until I know, I'm going to refer to it every time. I'm going to say violin slash fiddle. <laughs> but this is, this song is Caesar's Last Ride, and I thought the violin slash fiddle in this track was really pretty. I believe it's fiddle. I don't know that. It comes in a little later when things slow down. I really like this song. Um, it was playlist for me as well. Pretty good song. What do you think about Caesar's uh, Caesar's Last Ride? Um, I wasn't a huge fan. I didn't dislike it. I thought it wasn't bad. But to me, it felt a little bit like filler. But I did like the tambourine beat in it. That was catchy. Yeah, I liked it. I liked the last two songs. The next song I'm getting ready to talk about, not as much. It's just the other side of nowhere. It's This track's very reserved. It's an old-time, slow country music song. I would say it's good for what it is. And the, pr the production in this track was pretty good as well. Everything sounded good. It's just a little too reserved for me. It's almost dreary. What did you think about just the other side of nowhere? <laughs> like you said, it's good for what it is. So I liked it. You know, it was a slow, soft country song. You know, his voice actually sounded pretty in this one to me. It wasn't like outstandingly beautiful. But I think this type of song does suit his voice. I hate to sound too poetic or pretentious, but it sounded really rich and full, and it was just really soothing to me, so I liked it. Yeah, I'm just giving the Stewie Griffin compliment sandwich there. <laughs> it's good for what it is. <laughs> <laughs> now the next song, I like the, um, the title, Darby's Castle. And I may be mistaken, but I... I believe I heard a xylophone in this song. I didn't go back and look at the liner notes or anything. I didn't get a chance. But it was cool. It was another story set to music. The story, the song is its sad in a way. It's a man talking, it's talking about a man who catches his wife in an instance of infidelity. And if you're into sad type of music and that type of story, I would say this is the type of song for you. Uh, I'm not normally into that, you know, type of music. I don't want to <laughs> bring any more sadness into my into my brain if I don't already have to. But um, you know, if you're into sad type of music that has, you know, songs of you know someone catching their wife, you know, cheating on them or their husband or whatever, then you know this would probably be the type of track you, you would like. Well, what did you think about Darby's Castle? You like those sad, sappy songs? <laughs> I did. I actually did like it. 
I did feel like it was kind of standard and generic for country music, but you know, if you like country music, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it wasn't bad, and I did enjoy it. And yes, I like those sad, sappy songs. <laughs> yeah, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> the next song will be an example of our new format that I won't even talk about. And that's For the Good Times. <laughs> Nothing really stood out in this track for me. This one for me was filler. And that's the only notes I have on it. What did you think about For the Good Times? My main note on this one is that I know it, not this version. Ray Price did a popular version of this song, and I know that one. I enjoy it, but again, I didn't know that Chris Christopherson was responsible for it. I didn't think it was bad, but I did think it was a little slow and dreary. Not a good example of the sad, sappy songs. Not terrible, but not great either. Good writing, though. <laughs> yeah, every track has good writing in it. The next song, I had to look up to see what Duvalier actually is. It's just a name, I guess. Uh, Duvalier's Dreams. The only thing I found on Duvalier was it's a last name for the most part. It looked French in a way to me, like Duvalier or something like that. But it's just, I'm a stupid American, you know? But this, like I don't have a lot of notes on this one as well. It wasn't a bad song, but it just really wasn't for me. This one for me was filler in a way. It's still, it's a story song. They all are. They all have pretty good writing. But this one just didn't stand out for me. What did you think about Duvalier's Dreams? I agree with that. I thought it was a little bit of, a little bit boring. And it wasn't my favorite. I agree. Duvalier's Dreams put my uh, butt to sleep. <laughs> I had to catch myself. This is Chord Chronicles show. <laughs> Guys, I almost, I almost used my one up for the week. I don't want to yet. <laughs> That's coming up. <laughs> now, the last song on the album I'm actually familiar with. Uh, Sunday Morning Coming Down. I'm not familiar in that it was originally written for Ray Stevens in 1969. Something I didn't know. Something I'm really interested in going and checking out. I, I think I've heard it. I think I've heard it because I have heard, like, I went through Ray Stevens' other stuff because I heard he had done some music that wasn't all comedy-based. It's just, you know, he just did country music. So I went through and listened. And it just didn't, it didn't really stand out for me, though. I don't really think it was that great. I think his, for, his fort... It's, it is fort. It's not forte. <laughs> Getting snobby over here, guys. But Ray Stevens' main niche was comedy music. And it's, he's great at it. It's, it's fun. But Sunday Morning Coming Down, his version, wasn't a huge fan. Johnny Cash actually released this and made it a number one hit. That's the track, the, the version that I'm most familiar with. And I would say this version of it is the second best in the trio. That's what I would call it. I would say it's right in the middle. It's not, like Ray Stevens' version isn't bad, but it's not great. And, you know, Christopherson does it a little bit better. It's his song. And he wrote it, so he improved on it a bit, I think. And then Johnny Cash actually really made it his own. But it, it still has that same style of a storyteller type of country. Like if you're into a storyteller you know, type of country, an old style album, you'll probably be into this. It's not terrible. But uh, what did you think about Sunday Morning Coming Down? 
I didn't know that about Ray Stevens. That's weird. I'll have to listen to that one. I did know this song, both this version and Johnny Cash's version. It's a good song, and I like both of those versions. And they're not super different. You know, Chris did adopt a similar style to Johnny Cash in a lot of songs. So, it's similar enough that if you know Johnny Cash's version, you'll probably recognize this one also. Yeah, and like I said, the writing in the sounds good. Chris Christopherson's a great writer, but I think there's actual other songs that he's done better. This is his debut album. He's going to get stronger as an artist, as a performer. This one for me is only three stars. What did you give it? I gave it three and a half. He is a great songwriter, and he's not a bad performer. And there are several good songs on here, so for me it was just a little bit better than mediocre. Not fantastic, but not just middle of the road either. Now the next album we're getting ready to talk about, I'm familiar with one song this artist has done. These artists, I guess I should say. This band has, has done. And the band is Procol Harum. The album is Home. This album actually came out June 5th, 1970. And I just really, I went to Wikipedia for most of my notes. So this is ripped directly from there. If there's, if it's not right, then I don't know. Because I wanted to, to you know, read a little bit about Procol Harum. Obviously, they perform Lighter Shade of Pale. That's the only song that I've known by them. This album's actually not that. It's different. But this is their fourth album, and from Wikipedia. It was released in 1970 with the departure of organist Matthew Fisher and bassist David Knights, and the addition of the remaining musicians, Gary Brooker, B.J. Wilson, and Robin Trower, uh, former bandmate, bassist, organist Chris Copping from Paramounts. They were basically a band called the Paramounts once again which is, I think they were originally like more of an R&B style band, what I could tell. I went back and listened to just a couple songs that I could find. It's not, you know, it, it's not something that's just out there easy to find. But, um, I don't know. I liked everything they did that I could find from Paramounts as well. But it, it sounds different than Whiter Shade of Hell. It sounds more like some of this stuff that's, that I we're getting ready to talk about. But how familiar are you with uh, Procol Haram? Like you, the only thing I knew about them or from them was A Wider Shade of Pale. I didn't really like that song, but I didn't know anything else about them. Although, it's really bugging me. Robin Trower's name is really familiar to me, and I cannot figure out why. Oh, the other members of the band have been involved with other things. Now, you know, don't get me, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, well, except the exception of like B.J. Wilson, I think he stayed as their drummer for the entirety of the band's life span, I believe. Now, Gary Brooker, um, I looked him up because the, the name sounded familiar to me, but I guess he's mainly just been involved with Procol Haram, but he's very charitable. He was appointed, um, I don't know about this, what this award means, but I believe it's for charitable extremely charitable works it's member of the order of the british empire in the queen's birthday honors 
and uh, it's from uh, June 14, 2003, in recognition of his charitable services. So, a good person. A really good person. And I like his voice, you know. Uh, Robin Trower had the Robin Trower band. That's the only other thing he's associated with. Yeah. So, uh, maybe you, you know, you're familiar with that. I don't know. But I like his, his style. He's a really good guitarist, and I'm, I'm going to refer to it throughout here. But... I did think it was interesting. One thing I'm going to point out, and you know, I don't mean this in political at all, but sometimes Wikipedia can be pretty funny. I'm going through, I'm looking at the personnel for Procolorum, and you know, I listed off, you know, the, you know, the, the lyric, you know, the what piano and vocals, guitar, bass, organ, drums, etc. And then they have lyrics. So that they have Procolorum has a specific guy that writes for them. He he writes the songs. He doesn't perform anything, but the one funny note about him on Wikipedia, it just says, his name is Keith Reed. Keith Stewart Brian Reed is a lyricist and songwriter who wrote the lyrics of every Procol Rum song that is not instrumental or a cover, with the exception of their most recent album, Novum. Reed is Jewish. That's the last note. <laughs> that's the last note, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know why it's important that he's Jewish, but that's what it tells me. But, oh, um, but he's a heck of a writer, I will say that. But I'm going to get right into it, because, like I said, Whiter Shade of Pale was the only song I was familiar with, so I thought it would be more of that. So I like that song, but I don't think, I didn't think I could sustain an entire album of that, if I'm being honest with you. But the first song, Whiskey Train, I love everything about this. It was a hot start with the guitar. Like we said, Robin Trower, amazing guitarist. It was amazing percussion, B.J. Wilson on this, and just really good vocals. For me, this was a hot start, and this is Playlist. But what did you think about Whiskey Train? I thought the music was really good. I didn't care for the vocals. I thought they were kind of meh, but I did like the music. And totally not like A Whiter Shade of Pale. Oh, no, totally different. Like, out the gate, I knew this was going to be a different type of album. And I was excited about it. Because I like Waiter Shade of Pill, but just a whole album of that, there's no way. I don't think I could do it. I think I'd probably be asleep. It's too peaceful. It's just too... But the next song, The Dead Man's Dream, I didn't actually like this song at first. But the longer it played, I actually really started to like it. It started to grow on me. The lyrics actually match the tone of the song. At about four minutes, the song fades away, and then suddenly the drums come back in for a second. And then it does get a little weird. Like, a little bit, you know, later on in the song, they do a little bit of experimentation. So I know, I knew, in, you know, at, when that happened, I knew this was going to be different from A Lighter Shade of Pale, and it was going to be a progressive type of album. There's going to be some things that I may not like, but maybe I will appreciate experimentation sometimes, especially in this album. Maybe not here in a little bit, but um, what did you think about The Dead Man's Dream? It was weird. My one note about it is, I wasn't high enough for this song. <laughs> oh yeah, it does have that uh, stoner vibe to it or something. I don't think it's really acid or anything, but it is a uh, psychedelic in a way. Yeah. I will give it that. This is a psychedelic... Progressive rock with jazz elements and 
I don't know, just uh, just experimentation, but but good in some ways. Uh, so far, at least. You know, it was weird, but I thought good enough. You know, good kind of weird. Now the next song, still there will be more. This one actually had more of a poppy vibe. Actually, I really like the piano in it, and the production was really good. Now I may have a remastered copy of it, but this was hard for me to find. I believe it was only on YouTube. I had to find a playlist. Someone had arranged the the tracks for me, so I should actually start shouting out these. YouTube <laughs> channels if anyone wants to go check check them out on there because this is wasn't on this album's not on Spotify I don't know why sometimes I don't know why some of these albums aren't on Spotify because they should be this one should I don't know why but um, like the production was good and like things were things stood out where they needed to the guitar is always amazing in the, in these we've already established that Robin Trower Wow, I can't believe I didn't know his name or you know wasn't familiar with his work. And this percussionist, I love him. And I, I like the vocals in this track too. And for me, this one was another playlist. What do you think about uh, Still There Will Be More? I didn't think it was terrible, but I didn't think it was great either. For me, there were moments of it that were good. You know, I don't want to give the impression that it was all bad. It wasn't. It just wasn't all that interesting to me. I need more. The next song. Really, well, the next song's like that for me. Yeah, it's nothing that I didn't know. Um, I, I like it, but it, nothing stood out for me. I, like, I don't have a lot to say about it. it. It's more of a serious, melancholic tone. I normally don't gravitate toward that type of song. But it's okay. For me, this one would be filler. If there were, you know, if you're talking about filler tracks. What do you think about nothing that I didn't know? I actually like this one a little bit better than the previous one. And that may be because to me it sounded kind of Scottish. And I like that. I'm not... <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, we get it, everyone. We're a quarter over a quarter Scottish now. We have to start listening to all the Scottish music. Hey, I have been saying that <laughs> since the beginning of this. I just like Scottish and Irish music. No, I don't feel really super enthusiastic about it, but it didn't feel like a waste of time or anything. It wasn't just mediocre. It was it was pretty good for me. The next song, About to Die, really soulful vocals. I really appreciated the production in this song as well. The bass groove was coming through nice, not muddy at all. The vocals were super clean. The organ was layered nicely and the percussion was stellar. It, but it has been in every song. I like this quite a bit, and I made the, the note, why is this album not on Spotify? I think this is really good, and severely underrated, and I'm glad I found it. For me, this is Playlist as well. What do you think about About to Die? And this is the last song on side one as well. For me, this one was the best one so far. You know, I thought it was actually kind of catchy. I liked the drums in it, and it's a weird note to point out, but I like the way the vocalist said the song title in the choruses. They do play with some interesting vocal tones in this album. I will say that as well. I like that type of experimentation sometimes. Sometimes it gets annoying. Sometimes it becomes part of the noise, like, you know, Mothers of Invention. <laughs> so, you know, something like that. But it's been good so far, I think. Side 2 starts with a different type of uh, vibe to it. Barnyard Story is the first song. 
really reserved start, piano and vocals. And the organ came in shortly to add another nice layer. It's interesting to me that the bassist and also plays organ. So I guess, uh, I don't know if they had a session musician come in and play organ on this track or he played his bass part and then went back and played the organ part because there's bass and organ in this song so I, I made that note like how did they because you can't play both you know you can't play bass and organ at the same time how in the world <laughs> so he had to have came in they had to have a session musician do that or you know record the track separate which is probably what they did but this is the first time that I've noticed something like that just made a note of it both, both of them are good. He's really good with organ and with bass. So I like the artist. I have to go back and look at his name. We've talked about B.J. Wilson and Robin Trower and all these guys, but I haven't even really mentioned him very much. This song, it was it was really reserved, but don't mistake that for boring, though. I actually kind of liked it. I thought it was unique. What did you think about Barnyard Story? I wasn't expecting such a sad song from one that was titled Barnyard Story. I thought it would be peppy and fun, and it's not. It is reserved, and it, it is sad, but it wasn't bad. I like the piano in it. Shout out to Chris Copping. That's who the bassist is, an organist. He's a musician, singer, songwriter, and he's actually composed for TV and film. He predominantly plays organ, piano, and bass, so he's a composer. So, yeah, naturally this guy is uh, very talented. So, if I haven't mentioned him as far as with the other guys, this this band's really talented. You know, you, you know, I know you don't really care for the vocalists in some of the songs as much, but like all the musicians are good in this band. I think I think that's the the, the true strength really would be Robin Trower probably and B.J. Wilson because the percussion's strong in every song. The next song really different. I could tell it was going to be really different from the title. We started with Barnyard Story. Now we're going to Piggy Pig Pig. This one almost has a like a swamp blues vibe in a way. The percussion was really different. I didn't like it at first, but it started to build a bit. No, I thought it got really good. The vocals, pretty good. Production was only okay in this track. It was the first track that I thought the production could have been a little better. But once the guitar comes in for the, uh, for the solo and the vocals are trailing off, they're almost at odds with one another. So that part kind of bothered me. Uh, I, you know, just not not the whole song really, but just parts of it when the guitar is getting ready to come in and the, the vocalist is trying to trail off, they're crowding one another. So it just almost gave me anxiety about it. Uh, this song has weird pig sounds and odd vocals in the, near the end, and it threw me off. Like, <laughs> I had this. What are they doing? Are they saying suey and making pig noises? Like, it wasn't enough for me to hate it, but it did really hurt the song for me. I felt like it added a stupid twist to it. They, they, they didn't need to, because it was a good song up until the end. But what do you think about Piggy Pig Pig? It definitely wasn't my favorite. The vocals were kind of annoying to me. It's not that they were really bad for most of the song, not in any way that I could put my finger on, but they just kind of got on my nerves for some reason. That happens sometimes. And I thought the music was a little generic sounding, so it wasn't my favorite. And yes, the end was terrible. 
I hated the end. I always like songs with a nautical theme. I don't know why. <laughs> but the next song, Wailing Stories. Love the title. Uh, this track is a bit of a journey. I like how things get dark, almost, in a way. It almost had a, like a doom metal vibe for a second. And I know we just got done listening to Black Sabbath, so maybe that's on my, in my mind. But this was maybe doom metal mashed up with Pink Floyd, <laughs> I would say. So this is like Pink Floyd trying to do death metal. They're not known for that. Uh, that guitarist is se severely underrated. But, I mean, I guess I'm officially a Procol Harum fan. I've thoroughly enjoyed this this song and this album so far. But what did you think about Wailing Stories? It started off pretty. Um, it kind of lost that as it went on. And I wish it hadn't. I get that it's supposed to be deep and profound and artsy, but I wasn't really feeling that from it. That's just me. But I did like the beginning of it. I thought it was pretty. And I enjoyed that part of it. I get the whole Propo Harum is progressive. This is more of their progressive. Like they're starting to be more progressive. And this is proof of that. But I liked it. And like the, the final song on the album, Your Own Choice, I don't really have a lot to say about it other than once again, I just really like this album. And I really like this band. And I thought this was just another strong song. Not the strongest on the album, but I did enjoy it. What did you think about your own choice? I thought it was kind of catchy. Not overwhelmingly so, like most of the album for me, but... Yeah, catchy. I liked it okay. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised that this album was as good as it was for me. Because I couldn't find it on Spotify, and usually that's a warning sign sometimes. I said usually and sometimes, but for the most part, if I can't find an album on Spotify... That means it's not going to be great. Either the production isn't going to be good, or, you know, maybe it's not as good of material. Maybe the artist doesn't even like it as much. <laughs> we've, we've encountered that as, uh, a couple times now. So, I'm not going to bring up any names and embarrass them anymore. So, but, uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. <clears throat> He's dead. But, um, <laughs> I know. You can't I'm embarrass him. a good name, though. I, I can embarrass the fans that are huge fans. But listen, they wasn't all good. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I, all seriousness. Uh, this album, though, great, great album to me. I gave this one four stars. And a pleasant surprise, and it needs to be on Spotify. But what did you think about, you know, how, what did, how many stars did you give home? I actually wasn't that impressed with it. I didn't think it was bad. No, it's not bad at all. But I had hoped for better. And for me, it was just a little boring, so I gave it three. Stingy. Anytime somebody tries to do something different. Hey, no. <laughs> I gave Chris Christopherson a higher score than you did. <laughs> I know. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> now the next I album I'm getting ready to talk about... Well, the next album we're getting ready to talk about, I bet you didn't give it a good score. I just already know. Now, I don't know what people are hearing in this album that I didn't hear. 
or maybe what they're not hearing that I did hear. But, uh, like, if you go on to reviews of this, this gets very good reviews. But I've said too much. I'm going to get into, into it. This album actually came out June 6, 1970, also. This is Soft Machine, third really creative album title. I've noticed bands back then just didn't give a dang. Didn't give a dang about it. So, <laughs> this is third. This is their third studio album. This is a double <laughs> album. Kind of. I don't know how I can. I don't know how I can demonstrate <laughs> by my voice. Air quotes. Double album. Now this is jazz, progressive rock, electronic noise. <laughs> okay, a lot of electronic experimentation so for that I will give them bonus points you do get credit for that but just because you did experiment doesn't mean experiment was a good one so have you ever heard of soft machine before I had heard of them I didn't know anything about them but I had seen them mentioned several times in newspaper reviews when I was researching some of our previous albums and on Wikipedia pages of other albums that we've already discussed. I do like jazz. Oh, experimental jazz can be good. More often it's really bad. So I didn't really know what to expect from this. And typically I don't break my rules of not listening in ahead. But after I got through this album, I had to, like, earlier today, I just had to go, because one popped up, an album, another album that I'm reviewing for Off the Record in the future, I thought I would work ahead a little bit, and that came up as on YouTube, obviously, because it's not on Spotify either, it should be, I'm not going to even tell you what that album is yet, but another Soft Machine, you know, album came up as the autoplay, so I let it play for a couple songs. And wow, it's really good. Why isn't that on this album? So, I'm going to get right into it though. These songs, there are only four. Because each of these songs is one side of the album. <laughs> the first song, Facelift. That's not Alice in Chains' Facelift, guys. It's definitely not. I am going to note how long these are because... It, you're going to see this is a labor of love sometimes. Facelift is 18 minutes and 45 seconds long. Really interesting beginning with the organ. So, you know, I thought maybe until it evolves into noise. And as I listened to this track, I began to wonder if there was a, this was an attempt by the band to troll people. It sounds dreadful. This is all instrumental noise and experimentation. I admire their quest for new sounds, and they do use backmasking. Uh, like they take, they backmask. Uh, I can't remember the song, but it's a song from the previous track or the previous album. I mean, and they play it forwards at the same time. I think it's called "Passing Me By." I believe I may be wrong on that, but they played them at the same time. So they played it backwards and forwards at the same time. So that was some of the noise that you heard. It was terrible. I mean, I admire it. You know, they're trying new techniques. But that doesn't mean you had to record it and release it on the public. But this is just crap. 
This is just uh, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. I've said it for this this uh, this song is shit. It is, it just is. But what did you think about facelift? It is a tonal noise, which I do tend to have auditory issues with. This one actually didn't hurt my head as much as some others, but it's also not really music that I can review. Like, it fits the technical definition of music, but to my ear, it just comes across as noises. Yep. I've said this a few other times about other songs, but to me, it did kind of sound like the musical backdrop to a movie. And I wonder if maybe it would do well as that to help build tension, maybe. But as far as I can tell, that's not what it was. It did get a little more musical in the middle of the song, but it was still chaotic enough to just come across as noise to me. It was too busy. I didn't hate it as much as you did, but I didn't like it either. Oh, I was just already dreading the album. I had to, because I went through the whole thing. This was my lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to Facelift on my lunch, ladies and gentlemen. So, my lunch from work. So, no, it wasn't pleasant at all. The next song, slightly all the time, is 18 minutes and 12 seconds. This is actually more of a traditional jazz sound compared to the previous track. But honestly, nothing stood out. I mean, the production's solid. The guitar, horns, percussion, I mean, they all stand out without crowding one another. It doesn't change a lot. The tempo speeds up about the six-minute mark. But other than that, this is just jazz. And I don't dislike it, but... I mean, that's nothing special. I don't understand all the love. But what did you think about Slightly All the Time? I did think it was better than the first track. Parts of it were annoying. They were too high-pitched and whiny, and I don't like that. But I thought in general this one was okay. It was too long. You know, as we know, I typically don't care for long songs. So this album started off being rough for me. It did kind of get boring. I think it might have been better as a three to five minute song, or even a couple of three to five minute songs, because there were different parts to it. I liked the last part, except for the last couple of minutes. But yeah, it was over 18 minutes long. Every part of it was too long, and just not enough for that length of a song. It is jazz, so there's not typically lyrics. You know, they don't have vocals in it. But that's a lot. 37 minutes of noise slash music, and I just was, I was done. That's the whole album. <laughs> that's one, that's one uh, record. But we go to the next uh, record, and that's Moon in June. This one's 19 minutes, 19 minutes and 8 seconds. And I was actually surprised when this track started with vocals. I'm not really sure how I feel about it. I mean, I, I like how the drummer throws in ghost notes at times. That was interesting. I mean, ghost notes are prevalent in jazz, but I haven't heard a lot of that yet in the songs. And I don't want to do any of that and describe what a ghost note is. Just look it up, guys. <laughs> but they, they do use it in this track. Um, I don't know. It's okay. But still, nothing that that I care anything about listening to for 19 minutes. I just, I guess I don't, I just, I just don't get it, I guess. And I like long songs, progressive songs, but I mean, this one was just okay. And I mean, on the, the lower side of okay, like less, more kind of terrible. Well, to me, what did you think about Moon in June? 
it was different than the rest of the album because it did have vocals, but it was boring, and the vocals just weren't that good. I also felt like the music got really annoying sometimes, especially the last couple of minutes, so I wasn't a big fan of it. Oh, you're being nicer than I am. I was angry about this album. <laughs> this is one of the worst experiences we've had in a while. The last song on the album, Out Bloody Rageous. And it was Out Bloody Rageous that they sold this as a double album to people. The first minute's so quiet, I thought they were trolling once again. And once the music came in, I knew they definitely were. My only notes, wow, a double album? If I'd bought this in 1970, I would have been irritated. I put something else, but I've already used my word. So, <laughs> I've already used my one. I would have been really mad. And this might have damaged my, you know, any ideas of buying anything from this band. Again. Like, wow, a double album? Okay, I'm gonna put on some jazz. Say you're looking, you're into jazz, and you buy this. Okay, I don't guess I have enough drugs in my system or in the world, for that matter, that would make this enjoyable for me. I don't know what type of drugs I would need, but I don't want them, and I don't need them. What you, you know, what did you think about that song? The opening bothered me. It wasn't that it was bad per se, but some of the sounds in it. And there were, again, a lot of just different sounds, but a couple of them sounded like both a low-flying helicopter going by and my cell phone vibrating. So I kept thinking that there was something else going on. You know, I was hearing my phone, I was hearing a helicopter, and it was really distracting and annoying for me. It did sound like there was a violin in this song, but there is no violin listed in personnel. So that's a shame, because I liked the sound of that, and I'm not sure what it was. Maybe they just left somebody out in the personnel list, maybe I'm crazy, but that was the best part of the song. And if I hadn't broken my rule and listened a little bit ahead to some soft machine, I would be really not looking forward to the future, because they have... 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, I believe, is their albums. So we're going to be doing some more Soft Machine in the future. But it gets better. But this album, uh, I gave them a half star for experimentation. So <laughs> I struggled, though. I struggled. I almost gave them one and a half stars, guys. But I gave them two and a half. They got two and a half. Because I know they can do better. And they are talented, but two of these songs are noise and experimentation. That's the half star. And the musicianship on the other two actual songs are the two stars. So, what did you give Soft Machine third? I also gave them two and a half. I was between two and two and a half. And I didn't hate it, but I didn't really like it either. I liked parts of it. And that's why they got the extra half star. There were parts of it that annoyed me. So it was worse than you know, my three stars. But I do think that parts of it would be good with minor changes. It just seems like they were trying too hard to be edgy and innovative and it just didn't totally work for me. 
I mean, they can't all be hits. But I know I'm not looking forward to if they have any more songs of 19 minutes of noise. They better not mess with me like that. <laughs> you hear me, soft machine? <laughs> Don't uh, 40, you know, nine years in the past produce another album full of junk for me to have to listen to. <laughs> no, but uh, I like, like I said, I did listen a little bit ahead, and it does get better. So I'm okay with it. But this one, yeah, not good. I would skip this one. Anyone out there listening, don't put yourself through it, or or do it and see how bad it is. Either way, if you're like if you like to see like rubberneck at a car crash, just you know you can't look away. Maybe this is for you. But I'm gonna go to the next album, and I'll make a note in a minute. This is gonna be the last album of the week. Originally, it wouldn't have been, but uh, this album came out June 8, 1970, and it's Bob Dylan's self-portrait. Now, I mean, we're both very familiar with Bob Dylan. Who isn't? I mean, prevalent artist, singer, songwriter, you know, musician, whatever you want to call him. Um, I would say he's a very good writer as well. A lot of times, probably a better writer than he is a performer. And, I mean, anyone that's listened to our show, they know how much I hate the scoop, you know, all that. I can't stand it. It ruins any Bob Dylan song for me as soon as he starts that. Now, this album? Not not that, really. Not as prevalent. I want to say that right off the bat. This is another double LP. Something I didn't realize until <laughs> until halfway listening to it. I noticed that, wow, there's a lot of songs. <laughs> this is his third studio album. Uh, this is his second double LP. I think Blonde on Blonde was the the one before this and it's better than this one so but i mean you know i'm sure you know what else do you want to say about dylan go ahead the floor is yours (laughs) we've talked at length about my opinion of bob dylan so i'm not really going to get into that again much i'll just say why (laughs) don't you like bob dylan to sing like this to your legs you know every day I'll just say I appreciate his writing talent, but I don't usually care for his singing. That's not like this in this this album. But I don't want to get too far because there's a lot of songs to talk about. And this album, ladies and gentlemen, is what led to this show changing formats. Because uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get into it. <laughs> one, thing, one thing I'm going to point out before I even get started, though. You know how I always complain about albums not being balanced. Bob Dylan gets bonus points. Double album. Six songs on every side of this album. So, they made it happen. Why can't everyone else? So, yeah. You heard it right, though. 24 songs. 24 songs. I was about four songs in, and I realized, oh, wow, there's 20 more songs in this. So... Ah, was a little bit uh, under, you know, overwhelmed at the time when I realized there were 24 Bob Dylan songs on this album. But I'm gonna get started. The first song, "All the Tired Horses." <laughs> now, this song it has really soulful ladies' vocals, and it would be good, except they say the same phrase over and over and over, and oh yeah, and over throughout the song it's like three a little over three minutes long i think and what all the tired horses uh something about not getting the work done 
or something like that. How are we gonna get any riding done? That's what yeah. it is. All the time, yeah. They say that over and over, and it just really, it just started irritating me about a minute in. I can handle about a minute of it. But it got boring. Well, what did you think about all the tired horses? There's not much else to say other than it's very repetitive and it's not even Bob Dylan. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about it. I mean, people talk about rap being repetitive. Like, especially a lot of times back from, what, the 90s, uh, Memphis Rap, 3-6 Mafia and those guys, because they repeat the same phrase over and over again. Well, this is the country version of that. I will say that. <laughs> Except uh, Triple Six Mafia might be a little bit better than All the Tired Horses. But I'm going to go to the next song. Alberta number one. This is actually a traditional song. I, I tried to look it up. Some of these songs are covers. Some of them are Bob Dylan originals. And some of them are just traditional folk type songs. Uh, this is bluesy and soulful. And I really like the harmonica in it. And the vocal scoop, it just, it really isn't prominent here. And I was glad. <laughs> I like this song. What did you think about Alberta number one? I did notice the scoop more than you did, I guess. I did like the bluesiness and the harmonica. I mentioned both of those. But the voice, whew, not good. I'm just trying to give him something. <laughs> especially since I listened to Soft Machine before this. This is better than Soft Machine. I will say that right off the bat, you know, <laughs> just a little bit. This is better than that. Now we go to the next song. I forgot more than you'll ever know. This one almost has an old 50s style country sound to me. And I was surprised by the vocals. They don't sound like Dylan to me. And the more I look at listen to it, I don't think they are. Maybe they are. But some of these songs, they just don't sound like Bob Dylan. Vocals. He has none of the scoop and just a different tone, like like a different key. Maybe he's singing. Maybe Bob Dylan is capable of singing in a different key that I didn't know. If so, he needed to stick with it. But uh, this one was okay, but I don't think anything stood out in it. But what do you think about this track? The voice was definitely better. Like you said, I don't know who's singing, but I definitely don't think it was Bob Dylan. I could be wrong, but it didn't sound like that at all. The song itself was a little boring. The next song is the best song on the album so far, I think. It's Days of 49. Uh, good vocals, awesome harmonica, and, and really good production for that matter. This one for me would be Playlist, which there's very few on this album that are playlists for me, but this one's good. What did you think about Days of 49? It was better than the others. And there's not too much scoop in this one, so the vocals weren't terrible. And I thought it was a little more interesting than the others. Still not fantastic, but it's not bad. But it was too long for me, even at five and a half minutes, because it got too repetitive near the end. Yeah, no, I didn't say it was great, <laughs> but I'm, if I'm looking for playlists so far... This is the one for me <laughs> so far, especially not, you know, all the tired horses over and over again. I was a little irritated, but the next song, Early Morning Rain, this is another one that the vocals don't sound like Dylan to me. It, the song has a melancholic vibe at times. 
It's okay, but I think this one's filler. What do you think about Early Morning Rain? I do know this song. I don't know this version of it, but I like the song. I actually thought this was the best so far. You would. <laughs> no. <laughs> now the next song is the last song on side one, and that's In Search of Little Sadie. This is acoustic guitar, and I think it's the best guitar work so far on the album. I think it's Bob Dylan playing guitar on it. I may be mistaken, but there's not much to say about it. I, I like this one. What did you think about In Search of Little Sadie? For me, it was just kind of meh. Not bad, but not great either. Mm, it's like Bob Dylan doing folk a little bit. It's alright. Uh, now, the first song on side two is Let It Be Me. I kept wanting to think Let, let It Be. <laughs> I was like, I kept reading it as that, and I'm like, oh no, did he do the Beatles? That would be interesting. Let it be. Let it be. Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take it. Stop. It would, oh, it would have been so awesome in, in such a terrible way. It would, I would have loved it. I, it would have been better if it would have been that than it would have been this. <laughs> uh, like, I think the vocals sound different once again. It's a love song. Nothing outstanding. Nothing bad. It's just, eh. What'd you think about Let It Be Me? Let It Be <laughs> Me. I wasn't expecting the Beatles song because I know this song. But I know the Everly Brothers version of this song. I like it. Um, it's not the Everly Brothers best song. And I'm only a mild fan of the Everly Brothers even though they do have a local connection to me. But I appreciate their talent. I was really missing their pretty harmonies on this song. Their voices are just better. So this version wasn't quite as good as theirs. It's funny, I looked it up. Let It Be Me is actually a 1955 song. It's French. Mm -hmm. Written by... I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. It's one of so. Felice and Boulot Bryant songs, isn't it? <laughs> um, originally published in French as Je Tapetins. That's right. Be mad at me, French people. I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. Uh, Gilbert Bicald. Okay. I believe is how you. So, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that artist at all. But I didn't even know the Everly Brothers had done it. Because I know Wake Up Little Susie, that's really the main track from the Everly Brothers that I know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I work in a local museum, so I have to know about the Everly Brothers. <laughs> now, um, the next song, the notes on it I'm confused by. I have to do a little more reading on it. It's Little Sadie, and if anyone else out there is knows, they can let me know as well. But um, Little Sadie... A 20th century American folk ballad in Dorian mode? I don't know what Dorian mode is. It's also known variously as Badly Brown, the Cocaine Blues, Transfusion Blues, East St. Louis Blues, Late One Night. I've heard it as Penitentiary Blues and other titles. It just tells the story of a man who is apprehended after shooting his wife or his girlfriend. So... I don't know what, maybe Dorian is 
originally someone named Dorian did something like that in folk tales and, and and you know that's how it started I don't know but that's the notes I had on that so if anyone else out there is familiar with it let us know at Chord Chronicles because I don't know what Dorian mode is but I really like the layer and the sounds in this track though uh, the production's stellar and everything stands out but nothing's on top of anything else it's not muddy but I don't have anything else really to say about it what do you think about little Sadie my notes are pretty short on it as well. It annoyed me. It was too nasally and too whiny. Hand skewed? <laughs> a little bit? Not a fan. No one has to tell me because I'm such a Google nerd. Dorian mode is a minor scale. It's most commonly used for jazz and blues improv. So it's using minor chords. So, okay. Maybe that's a, what's a little different to you. I don't know. But I've heard Penitentiary Blues. I didn't think it sounded like this, but Bob Dylan's interpretation of it may be different, obviously. So, I'm going to go to the next song, and that's the fun, the fun, like the most fun of any of the track titles on the album. And it's Woogie Boogie. Uh, it's an instrumental track. It's a really fun jam. Uh, it can get a bit busy at times, but I actually, I did like it. What'd you think about Boogie Boogie Boogie? I thought it was okay. There's not really a lot to say about it. It was kind of catchy. Not overly so, but not bad. I either want to say Wooly Bully. Yeah. Or it makes me think of Poison or uh, Porky's the movie. They go Woogie Boogie Boogie. boogie. <laughs> but that's not PG on this show, guys. It makes me think Especially of Wooly Bully. It makes me think of Wooly Bully, though, for sure. <laughs> Uh, now the next song, Bell Isle, I didn't really have anything to say about it. I thought it was filler track, and it's the first song that I did skip so far. But what did you think about Bell Isle? It was okay, but kind of boring still. And that's all I had to say. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, that's why coming up soon there will be a format change <laughs> on Chord Chronicles, because people like Bob Dylan, I mean... <laughs> Come on, you got to change it up a little bit, Bob. <laughs> this is filler, though. Uh, the next song, Live in the Blues, this is country-type blues. Uh, the lead guitar in this track really stood out, in my opinion. And the vocals were really good as well. I like the vocals in this one, and I think they were Dylan. But what did you think about Live in the Blues? I like the blues, but I didn't think this one was quite as interesting as a lot of other blues songs. It just didn't really grab me. It wasn't bad, but I couldn't really get into it. Again, though, I didn't like the vocals. For me, they were a detriment to the rest of the song. The next song, Like a Rolling Stone, I've heard by <laughs> Bob Dylan. This is a live version of it. I invoked my live claws on this uh, show. I listened to it, but I uh, don't really want to review it because it has decent quality for a live recording. It's okay. Don't love it. I mean, what are your thoughts on Like a Rolling Stone? The live version. <laughs> it's still a good song. You know, like a Rolling Stone is a good song. It's one of the few Bob Dylan songs that I like. But I do prefer the album version. His voice was even more nasally in this live performance. So... I would rather just listen to the album version where they tone that down a little bit. 
Yeah, I agree. And that's a, the last song on the first album. Now, the second album starts with something interesting. It's Copper Kettle. Uh, this song's really soulful. There's someone singing about making moonshine whiskey. And it's more about the tradition. His father did it, and his father's father did it. And that's it's trying to evoke that, you know, that mood, that vibe, I think. I actually really like this one. What did you think about Copper Kettle? I was Not the rest of it. <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of it. For me, I thought it was just too slow. It was kind of dreary. I think it could have been good, but kind of failed. Yeah, this album hasn't been anything stellar, but it hasn't been offensive either. Right. Like, we're not approaching Harry, Harry Nielsen Sings Newman levels of, of offensiveness. Not even in a double album. If you want some truly bad country, go there. This is just okay country. But I'm going to keep going, because i got to travel on. Hey, that's the name of the, the next song. Oh, God. Got to travel on. Um, this track, it has a really nice bluesy feel with a slide guitar. Uh, the backup vocals are what really stood out for me, though. Uh, really fun percussion. I would say it's one of the best songs on the album. Not great, but like I said, there's not been a bad song, really. But nothing stands out on this album, but this one's okay. What do you think about Gotta Travel On? I did think the music was pretty good on this one. You know, like you mentioned, I like the guitar on it. Also, like you said, it still wasn't great. But it was one of the better ones on the album. Just okay. The next song is a cover. Traditional country song. It's Blue Moon. Now, if Dylan's singing this, I never knew Dylan could sing like this. Uh, the backup vocals are nice and soothing with the ladies humming. This is okay. It's obviously just filler to me. But I do like Dylan's voice in this if it's him singing it. It doesn't sound, it doesn't have the scoop in it or any of that, from what I can tell. What do you think about his cover of Blue Moon? It wasn't terrible. It's terrible, <laughs> terrible beer. <laughs> the song wasn't terrible. The beer is because all beer is terrible. I hate beer. <laughs> um, it's not as good as the one we all know. That's not surprising. But it wasn't terrible. No, it wasn't terrible. Uh, not as terrible as the next song. And I'm really disappointed. This is The Boxer by Paul Simon. If you want to hear The Boxer by Paul Simon, go listen to Paul Simon sing The Boxer. I hate the duet. They seem like like they were slightly out of sync. It's terrible. I mean terrible. I was so disappointed by it. This was a skip. A, a really fast skip, too. What did you think about the boxer? I probably should have skipped. I didn't. You know, I love this song by Simon and Garfunkel. We talked about it earlier this year. You know, it was one of my favorites off of that album. I really enjoyed it. This one, not so much. It loses a lot of what I love about the original version. And like you said, the vocals are fighting with each other instead of melding into nice harmonies like you get in the original. Yeah, just terrible. <laughs> I thought one of the worst on the album, actually. And a big disappointment. The next song, um, 
I don't know. I'm sorry if I, to, I apologize if the term Eskimo is offensive. I don't know. I know it's it's Inuit, I believe, is the term I'm referring to someone uh, that would be Eskimo. But you know, that being said, I don't mean any offense by it. I like the album title. It's the Mighty Quinn, and this is Quinn the Eskimo. Uh, I thought this song was a lot of fun. There's a bluesy vibe and great backup vocals. Really great instrumentation. And I thought the lead in this, his vocals were decent, actually. Not terrible. Not, you know, really bad Scoop Dylan. But, you know, pretty decent. What do you think about uh, the Mighty Quinn, Quinn the Eskimo? This is another song that I really like. But not this version of it. Manfred Mann covered this song. And it was really popular, I think. You know, I've heard it a lot, and I really enjoy it. I've never heard Bob Dylan's version, and I didn't know he wrote it. There was too much scoop here for me, still. You know, it's a good song. I just prefer less scoop. And I like the flow of Manfred Mann's better, too. To me, this one seemed a little bit disjointed. That said, this performance was also live, so maybe that had something to do with it. I did appreciate the guitar work in it. Now, the next song, I think you said Felice Bryant or whatever earlier. Yeah. I think that's where you were referring to. That's Take Me As I Am or Let Me Go. Uh, this one has an old 50s country sound. Uh, it's really dreary, his version of it at least. Um, this song actually, um, it's Felice Bryant and I don't even want to, the Dorius Bordeaux, right? Boudlow. <laughs> Boudlow, okay. Say it. I'm not good at French, guys. But um, this is actually their song. Um, they were known for Rocky Top, uh, Love Hurts, numerous hits by the Everly Brothers, like All I Have to Do is Dream, stuff like that. This is their song, but it might. I'm not familiar with it. It might be better, their version of it, because this certainly was not, <laughs> not for me. I thought it was dreary and a very bad way to end side one. And I've already had to listen to, you know, this is my 18th Bob Dylan song in a row. But what do you think about Take Me As I Am or Let Me Go? Um, I do like Felice and Boudlow Bryant. You know, this is the one that I was thinking of. Well, this is one of the two that I was thinking of when I mentioned them earlier. I don't know if they ever actually performed it because they were more songwriters. I didn't mind this version. It's more straight country than a lot of other Bob Dylan songs. I kind of liked it. I like the piano. His vocals were better here. But the song does sound familiar to me. It's not listed as a cover, and it doesn't have its own page on Wikipedia, so I'm not sure, but it was really familiar to me. I don't know. The, the title sounded familiar to me as well, but I just... I don't know. I didn't care for it. Just like uh, the first song on side four. And it's Take a Message to Mary. I don't like this one at all. Like, Dis liked it greatly. I skipped it. Uh, do you have any notes on Take a Message to Mary? I do. My first note is I do like this one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thought it had good piano and good rhythm. And this one was also written by the Bryants. Felice and Boudlow. Yeah, this is an Everly Brothers song. It is. I mean, it's a cover of the Everly Brothers song, but I think the Everly Brothers did a better job. It's This one for me was dreary. I don't know. I just don't. Maybe I'm just not a big Dylan fan. I'm trying to be. 
That's fair. But maybe when I've heard, well, maybe when I've heard 19, this is the 19th song, like I said, in a row. It's hard to just sit down and listen to this many Dylan songs in a row. So Dylan doesn't lend himself for me to albums. I want to pick and choose and mix it in. And then the, like things like the scoop are is more are more tolerable and and, and and things like that. So that may be where it's hurting it for me a little bit. But I'm gonna keep going because it hurts me too. <laughs> That's the name of this song. It hurts me too. Uh, this is a traditional blues song, uh, really good acoustic guitar, and Dylan just singing. I thought he did a good job on this one. Uh, for me, this was one of the best songs on the album, and it's just a t- traditional blues standard. So, I guess this is just his interpretation of it. But what did you think about it? I like the guitar in this one. I did think there was still a little too much scoop, but it wasn't too bad. It was really stripped down, but that suits this kind of song, so, you know, I enjoyed this one. The next two songs, I don't know if you heard them like I did. They are Live at the Isle of Wight. It doesn't say that on the uh, listing that I have on Wikipedia, but I'm just going to go real fast through them, and you can throw your thoughts in if you want. Uh, There's Minstrel Boy. This is Live at the Isle of Wight. I didn't like it. I thought the vocals were okay, I guess, but it's okay for a live recording, but nothing special. But what did you think about uh, Minstrel Boy? I thought it was okay, but not great. I was actually surprised that it was from a real live performance. To me, it sounded more like a jam session or something. And now, the next one, uh, the other song that's live at the Isle of Wight is She Belongs to Me. And I'm actually familiar with this song, but I hadn't heard it live. If you like this song, I'd recommend listening to the original version, not the live track. It's okay, the lead guitar is really good, but his vocals sounded flat in this for me. I just didn't care much for it. But what did you think about She Belongs to Me? I did make a note that this one was clearly from a live show because there's audience noise in it. But as for the actual... It bothers me. <laughs> I know it does. <laughs> Again, though, for the actual song, it's just okay. It may be about... The only interesting thing about it that I noted, it may be about a former girlfriend, uh, Susie Rotolo, or Joan Baez, possibly. So, that's pretty interesting. But that's about the the most interesting thing about it, honestly. The next song, uh, as a running gag around the house around here, we like different sounding words. Uh, So, this one gave us a chuckle. This is Wigwam. This is a uh, original Bob Dylan. Uh, this was actually a hit single. It reached top 10 in several countries worldwide. And, I mean, it has la-la vocals in it, so it's basic. So that lent itself to that. I thought this had really nice horns, and I really like the piano. I wouldn't say it has vocals, because it's just the la-la. It's okay. Um, I mean... I don't know, I think you gotta just play guitar or something and shut up. Because the La 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 got old. It got really old for me. Uh, It almost ruined the song. It's a good song. I would agree. But, I don't know, just almost too much La 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 La. La 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 La, you will never get this. Bob Dylan, you will never get my fandom. What did you think about Wigwam? I agree. It was okay, but there really wasn't very much to it. 
and because of the la la vocals, it just felt unfinished. Now finally, oh my gosh, guys. Last song on the album. Alberta! <laughs> Alberta number two. That really bluesy harmonic is back, and I loved it. Uh, the ladies' backgrounds, they're really soothing. It's just another blues standard. I thought Dylan did a really good job with it. And you probably hated the scoop because it is in it. But, um, like I said, it wasn't in this whole album. And in small doses, I can tolerate it. So, I like this one. But what do you think about Alberta Number 2? I mean, it is just a slightly different interpretation of the Alberta Number 1 track. So, it's kind of cheating in a way. There was lots of harmonica, which I like. But it also sounds like Bob Dylan, which isn't necessarily great. I feel like the other version was a little bit bluesier, so I think I like the other version a little bit better than this one. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's just too long, this album. It's just too much for me, in a way. It's not bad. And honestly, I, my review of it is better than a lot of the other reviews that I've seen. This album got two and two and a half stars, a lot of people. For me, this is three stars. It's not terrible, but it's not great either. It's probably on the other side of mediocre. It may even be deserving to me of three and a half in some ways, but it's a solid three. But what did you give it? I also gave it three. You know, like most Bob Dylan, for me, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. It was just okay. And that's actually the last album of the week. And I said I was going to make a note. And that note is, I know last week we said we had Loretta Lynn. Loretta Lynn writes them and sings them. But after further review of that album, it's mostly compilation. So almost like greatest hits in a way. There are a few originals. I think they're B-sides mostly. If anyone is severely disappointed that we didn't get cover Loretta Lynn, Loretta Lynn writes them and sings them. I will personally put that on Jeff's Just Jammin' or on Off the Record. So let us know if you really wanted to hear our review of that, and I'll do it for you personally. But other than that, I mean, I'm invoking my No Greatest Hits albums for that for that for the week, especially after we had two double LPs that weren't <laughs> exactly stellar. So. That is going to be a country album. I like Loretta Lynn, but it, from what I could tell, it didn't have any Coal Miner's Daughter on it. So, maybe not one of her stronger ones, even though half of its greatest hits. Or whatever. So, but uh, my last one, I'm going to go ahead and say it. With that being said, oh, I had to bring it back, guys. It has been a, a down week, I would say. But last week was so great that how could you top it? You're right with Black Sabbath. That album is still playing in my playlist. It's coming up in my Spotify, you know, what Daily Mix or whatever, some of those songs. Very in a very very welcoming way. But um I don't know, it's been a it's been an okay week. I don't want to say it's been bad because there hasn't been a a terrible album. But next week we got some pretty interesting stuff coming up. I think it's going to be really good. Honestly. I'm going to go ahead and preview. We do have a different format coming up, guys. So we're not going to go song by song. We're just going to talk about these albums next week starting. And we have Rod Stewart 
Gasoline Alley. This ca that came out June 12, 1970. Really, really excited about that. We're both actually going to review that one. Uh, June 13, 1970, Uriah Heat. Very heavy, very humble. I don't know about that one, guys. <laughs> I've looked at it a little bit. We'll see. We'll see how that one goes. We're going to review it. Both review that one. And finally, we're both going to review Sugarloaf, self-titled album Sugarloaf. It came out around June 13, 1970. So next week, those three main albums, we're going to go into those and tell you what's good and what's bad. And next week, we're actually going to start Jeff's Just Jammin'. And on Jeff's Just Jammin', I'm going to cover Grateful Dead, Working Man's Dead, which came out June 14, 1970. So be, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. And Amy is going to be all alone. Aww. And she's going to cover Grand Funk Railroad, Closer to Me. And that one came out June 15, 1970. So, I don't know. That one, I think, is going to be really good as well. And I'm still going to try to listen along to all these albums. Like I said, I was going to. But I may just not be, you know, actually talking about them. So... Yeah, I'll give you a little break from hearing my voice all the time. <laughs> but it was a it was a good week last week on Off the Record, I thought. And I'm looking forward to next week. I'm not going to get into it because I'm still listening to a few of them. But uh, I want to finalize everything with that. But I hope everyone's had a good week. I hope everyone's had a good time on the show this week. And just keep listening to music, guys. It'll help you through the bad. The good, the bad, and the ugly, they say, right? So, like I always say, though, be nice to everybody. Use your manners. Try to love one another right now. <laughs> <laughs> Wear your mask. Um, look, seriously, let's beat this thing. And have a good week, guys. <laughs>